Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. As we turn in our Bibles, let's go to Psalm 133. We have today, and we have one more psalm in these Psalms of Ascent. And each of these psalms are, uh, are going up in elevation. They're, they're rising up. And so this psalm builds upon where we were for the last three Sundays in Psalm 132. This psalm builds upon this. And this is a song of unity. We are reminded that these are the songs that travelers, worshipers, they would have been singing, rehearsing these songs on their way to Jerusalem. And when they gather in Jerusalem, and today in this psalm, we're going we're gonna to experience a little bit through our imagination and the word of God of what it, it just felt like. It, what it, there was a smell, there was an aroma to worship. And as they would gather, as they would get closer, they would be drawn to this. Their, their senses would be engaged and we are worshiping the God who gave us our senses. He gave us our ability to taste and smell and hear all of these faculties that we rely upon and enjoy. He's the one who gave them and we worship him. And so they would gather and they would be surrounded by the presence of the Lord, the people of the Lord, and by worshiping the Lord and it would actually make its way into their clothing. And then they would leave and they would make their way home and God would be dispersing his people so that they would be his representatives. So that people would actually see them, smell them walk by and say, what's going on? What is that aroma? And it would set them up to tell of the goodness of God that we just sang about. That all my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he's been good to me. And so we unpack this psalm together. I love this psalm. We're moving up. Now our eyes are lifted to the place that is a sweet place where brothers dwell together in unity. We're desperate for unity right now, aren't we? Our world is torn apart. Our nation is tearing apart at the seams. When you get the news headlines, however you get them, when you watch the nightly news, are you often reminded if the Lord does not step onto the scene, if the Lord does not solve this, I don't think a political party can handle this. I don't think there's anybody on a ballot anywhere that can step in and say, I got this. The two sides are widening. The the span between them is further and further apart. And we see this when David responds. He's responding from a situation that involved him as the next king of Israel. And what do you do with all the people who are following the one Saul that God turned away from and pulled the kingdom from? So Psalm 133, we're acknowledging with David that, Lord, we need you. We need you to command your blessing in our world, in our nation, in our community, in our church, and in our homes. You probably know what it's like to be in a situation that you feel, I can't solve this. For someone you love, whether it be a spouse, whether it be a parent, or a child, or a sibling, 
and you know the answer. You know what they need, and you can't make them respond. You cannot make them come into unity and come into sweet fellowship. And so you do all that you can do, and you cry out to the Lord. Am I right? You cry out to the Lord and say, God, you have to change this person's heart. You have to change the situation. And if you don't change the situation, we have no hope but in you. We're depending on you. Oh, God, make us one. Unite us. There's only one who can unite, and it's Jesus. And it's my joy, and it's my privilege to stand before you and say, let's turn our eyes to Jesus. He can handle what you're going through. He can handle what we're going through but we must rely on him. Psalm 133, the psalmist, I believe it's David writing this, says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. As we unpack this song of unity, we're going to see the Lord as for all who have turned and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God is your heavenly father. So the Lord is, he's my heavenly father. Now that comes with implications. That if I belong to the Lord, if I'm in the family of God, like the Gaithers used to sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. If I'm part of that family and you have turned from your sin and you've trusted in Christ, then you are also part of that family. We have one father. We're part of one family. That means we're brothers and sisters. So we are going to spend a lifetime and all eternity together. So this is, this is a song of unity, and on earth, we're to have a glimpse of this, a foretaste of what heaven will be like. So the big idea this morning then is this, how can we enjoy the sweet fellowship of Christian unity for life? How can you, how can I, how can we together enjoy what God has in store for us, what God has intended for us, this Christian fellowship that's uncommon, it's not like anything else, it's not like a local club, a fraternity, organization, whatever it might be, this is the church, how can we enjoy this sweet Christian fellowship, not for a little while, but for all of life, and as we see in Psalm 133, for all eternity. This is never-ending joy, found only in the presence of God. First of all, a response from the psalmist is this, behold, Behold the uncommon beauty of unity. All right, take a close-up look. This is, you have to put your eyes on this. No one else can look for you. You have to look at this. And so the psalmist is saying, behold, check this out. Don't miss this. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This beauty, the psalmist, he declares it. All right, this beauty is declared. He's not ashamed of this. He doesn't have to get around to this. He's experienced this, and it's coming out of his mouth. He just has to tell of the goodness of God. Nobody has to prompt him like we do children's choirs, you know, and parents are out here like, sing. 
And the kids up there are like, no, I'm not going to sing. The psalmist doesn't have anybody kicking him in the back or kicking him in the shins or pulling at his collar saying, come on. He's saying, behold, how good, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, some of you grew up. How many of you had brothers? Raise your hand. All right, brothers. Two little brothers right back there, okay? What do brothers do? They, they love each other, but you know what they do. They wrestle, they fight, they jump, they climb highest places in the house they can get to, and they jump from there. And it's just amazing that any brother ever lives. Now, I grew up with sisters, and I have daughters. My world is absent of the brother uh, area, okay? So some of you grew up with brothers. And here's the deal. When it comes to brothers, brothers will go at it with each other, But when someone else tries to go at your brother, brothers join forces. And the more brothers you have, the fewer people want to mess with you, right? Because you become a tribe. And if you're a tribe of brothers, you're going to be all right. Small football team, you're going to be all right. You learned how to wrestle. When brothers dwell together in union, now how often are brothers ones, you know, to say, no, brother, you go ahead in front of me. No, you go ahead. Last piece of cake. You go ahead and take that. No, that, that, that's all right. I, you have it because I love you. You're my brother. Usually that doesn't happen a whole lot when brothers are dwelling together. But the psalmist is saying, this is good and this is pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. Now there's a flip side of this and we could say it the opposite way. If it's good, uh, uh, 3 John verse 4, um, I have no greater joy than when my children walk in the truth. So you can say that the other way, the negative way, I have no greater sorrow than when my children walk away from the truth or they walk in lies. Greatest joy, greatest sorrow. We could say this the opposite way, and that is how ugly and how awful it is when brothers dwell in disunity, in hatred, in warfare. So we have experienced and we can see the pain maybe in our own families, the ones we love the most. Maybe you've experienced this. I think we all probably have. Arguments in a family, division in a family. Pretty much all of us in one way or another have been affected by divorce in our families. Separation. Periods of time where relatives stop talking to each other because they disagree with each other and they just cut loved ones out of their lives. This This is awful. This is painful. Now I'm not just talking about a theoretical topic. Now I'm talking about the world we live in, the relationships that we are part of, that we've experienced, and God knows perfectly all that you have gone through and you have experienced from your childhood on up. Recently, they released, I think this week, the study of since the pandemic, since the stay at home, divorces have surged. I think 37% is what the statistic is as if it wasn't bad enough already of what people were going through and and loved ones walking away. And now it's, it's declining. It's becoming more painful and more hurtful. And God knows and understands all that is entailed with this. So when David writes about this, he's actually... He's picking up from language all the way back in Genesis. And we think about brothers, Cain and Abel, didn't go so well. All right. Jacob and Esau didn't go so well. Joseph's brothers, whoa. David's brothers, all right. You look at brothers throughout the Bible, 
Even the disciples, they had issues. Band of brothers with Jesus. And they had Jesus. They had trouble with them. There's hope for us, right? That's, that's a good thing. In Genesis 13, Abram and his nephew Lot, the Lord is blessing Abram. Their herds are increasing. Their flocks are increasing. And the land is not enough to sustain them. So Abram has a proposition for Lot. And he comes to him and he says, so here's the deal. Uh, Genesis 13, 6, the land could not support both of them. Here it is, dwelling together. They weren't able to dwell together in unity. Not going to happen. We got here first. You're going to run it out of water. We need water for our sheep. We need water for our goats. We need water for our cattle. Not enough. You ate all the grass. Where am I? Well, what am I supposed to do? And so Abram says, all right, here's the deal, Lot. Before us, the plains, Sodom, Gomorrah, down in the plains, fertile. Up here's the mountains. I'm going to give you the option. Where do you want to go? And the younger Lot, the nephew Lot, looks it over and says, well, check that out down there. That looks much easier. All right, old man, I'm taking, I'm taking the valley. And Abram said, okay. You go with your flocks and herds. You go down to the valley. And Lot went down, down, down into the cities, and his whole family went down with him. Abraham went up, and the blessing of the Lord is on Abram. And it was hard. But that's where the blessing of the Lord was. They couldn't dwell together. Their guys couldn't get along together. And so as David picks this up, he's, he's, he's writing on this, and, and from his past and from Israel's past comes this imagery. But David also experienced conflict with Saul, and that's what's immediate with this psalm. There was great wars, about seven years that David was crowned king, but not king over all Israel. That's a long time. And there's all kinds of conflict between these families. The account is in 1 Chronicles 11. It's also in 2 Samuel uh, 5. And Samuel was the one who obediently, I mean, he didn't come up with it on his own idea. I'm going to start a new political party. I'm going to go find this guy out. In the, Jesse, yeah, find me your kid. There you go. He's the guy. We started something new. The Lord told him, go, find Jesse, anoint one of his sons. And he did, and he was obedient. And this brought conflict. The two parties were so polarized and unable to reconcile their differences. Saul's party, David's party. Does it sound familiar to uh, 2020 as we approach an election? These two sides were not going to work it out. This was battle to the death. And it's starting to look that way in our nation. That the only way that a far right, far left can see the way forward is they just, there just needs to be nobody on that other side. And if they all die, they all die. I don't care. David looked this situation over and he realized this is a no-hoper. This is humanly impossible. How am I supposed to do what God has ordained me to do and called me to do? if the Lord doesn't resolve this situation. Even David, in his own family, the brothers, Amnon, committed a horrible atrocity with a sister. Absalom killed him for that. Absalom was then killed after he tried to, he stole the kingdom for a while. Then even Adonijah would raise up against Solomon 
try to steal the kingdom from this is brothers this is david's family this is the guy who penned this this psalm how beautiful it is how pleasant how lovely it is when brothers dwell together in unity and then there's my sons and then there's my brothers and then there's the nation of israel 12 tribes 12 brothers and when rehoboam solomon's son comes to reign what happens we have no share in david 10 tribes break fellowship and leave off worshiping in Jerusalem, the chosen city of God. So that's kind of the ugly picture of it. But the psalmist is saying, look at the beauty. Look at the beauty of brotherly love, how good and how pleasant it is. Thomas Watson, he said it this way. He said, if there be but one God, as God is one, so let them that serve him be What's the word? One. It's just, it's a right reflection. In 1 Chronicles 11, King David is thinking back over what God did when God brought the 12 tribes together under David. It looked impossible humanly, but beloved, God specializes in the impossible. 1 Chronicles 11, verse 1, Then all Israel gathered together to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, now listen, okay, remember how we've worked and they said, what share have we in David? That happens at different periods in Israel's history. Two times specifically. Listen to the share that they had in David, that they knew they had in David, because they're saying the Lord your God said to you, You, David, shall be shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over my people, Israel. No confusion here. Verse 3, so all the elders of Israel, not some of them, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they, see the unity, what's happening here, anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. God always keeps his word, beloved. And David is looking at this and he's saying, how did this happen? How am I here? And all the elders of Israel are here. All the tribes are represented and they're all saying, we are gonna go with God's plan and you're the anointed king and we're gonna submit to you and your leadership. He's saying God did this. What situation are you facing right now, loved ones, that is humanly impossible? Situation maybe in your family, maybe... Whatever it may be, what, what situation are you, are you facing? Understand this, that God does not waste trials. It's not random mishaps and mistakes that happen in our lives. God is always working for our good and for his glory, even when, like a pilot flying a plane and the fog has it completely blanked out, he has to trust, she has to trust the instruments. And there are times, and this week was one of them, when you can't see where you're flying. You can't humanly just say, oh, we'll just go here and we'll go there and this is how it's going to work out. It's completely a wall of fog. Trust the instruments. And for us as believers, it's the word of God. Trust implicitly, completely in the God of the word. Brothers dwelling, abiding, 
remaining in unity. It's good and pleasant. Can we be honest? Not everything good is pleasant. You know what I'm saying? I remember it's on a little uh, cooking video when Emma was little and we're making something and she's got her everything on, you know, aprons on and hat, cooking hat, baking hats on, making a little video. And I, I, I took the vanilla extract and I said, hey, you want to try this? And she smelled it. And she's like, sure. I said, okay. So I put a little drop on a spoon and she's like, oh, and she took the little taste of that vanilla extract and then her face went like, what have you done to me? You have sold me wrong. I can't trust you anymore, dad. It was like, oh, that is awful. Not everything good in life is pleasant. Romans 8, 28, we know God works all things together for good. Not everything good is pleasant. And not everything that we go through that's pleasant is good. Lust, it's not good. Sexual immorality, not good. It's not pleasing to the Lord. It's pleasing to us. Pride, all of our accomplishments and talent, boasting. But it's not good. It's evil. It hurts us. But here, when brothers dwell together in unity, it's good and pleasant. It's both together. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful sound. Because God is pleased, we are pleased, and others are pleased when we experience this uncommon Christian fellowship. There's nothing else like it. Romans 14, verse 18, Paul writes, and he says, whoever thus serves Christ you belong to Christ and you serve him is acceptable to God. Okay, that's vertical. And approved by men. There's horizontal. So then, here's the implication. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. The heart of this message is let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual Upbuilding. So this beauty is declared. The psalmist is saying, oh, don't miss this. Behold, look, check this out. Put your eyes on this. Don't just take somebody else's word for this. Partake of this. This beauty is then illustrated in verses two and three. So he gives two examples, two illustrations. Illustrations are windows, right? They help us understand. And so he says, it's like this. It's like precious oil that precious oil running down all over Aaron. Now, I'll be honest with you. When we have read through the Psalms in our time of Scripture, and all the, the person stands up and they read the Psalm, these three verses, and we haven't studied it, sometimes it's like, okay, we just talked about oil running down on a man's beard, and now let's continue on in worship. What does this mean, right? Hey, this is a beautiful picture. David wasn't there for this. This is when Aaron was ordained to the priestly ministry by Moses, all with the instruction of the Lord. It's like the precious oil on the head, okay, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Okay, so catch that. It's running down. It's flowing down. Every priest was anointed for ministry, but only the high priests were anointed over the head. And there's a tradition that this rite was suspended 
in Judaism after the captivity. When they came back, they stopped doing this. In Exodus chapter 30, I'm going to invite you to turn there uh, in your Bibles. Right? Go there in your app if you're using a, an app, version or whatever it might be. All right, go Exodus chapter 30. In Exodus, in Exodus 30, we see the recipe. Okay? Some of you are you're good at following recipes. Ginger makes soups. When she makes a soup, she generally does not have a recipe, and then someone says, hey, can I have the recipe for your soup? And she's like, um... I grab some stuff and some other stuff, and then I put it all in and turn on the fire, and then voila, there you go, and let's, let's have some soup, and it's good. But here's a recipe that the Lord gives, and every year in Israel, there would be about 50 pounds of this perfume that they would make according to the recipe. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, in case you, t- that's nice, isn't it? The Lord did the math for us in case we couldn't figure out the half of 500. That's 250. That's for me. I needed that, okay? And 250 of aromatic cane. And 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony. That's the ark of the covenant. Verse 27. And the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and its basin and stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured out on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on any outsider shall be cut off from his people. The death penalty. So you remember when Saul was impatient waiting on Samuel, and he took up the role of priest and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and then Samuel showed up. If you're the king, you can't say, I'll take some of that. Let me have some of that perfume because I'm the king. The priests and everybody connected to the tabernacle would say it's not for you because there's a king over you. There's a king who reigns over all kings, and this isn't for you. This is for his place of worship, and it's set apart, and it doesn't matter who you are or how much wealth you have. You do not equate, and it's all from God, for God, and you fit in that number as well. Your majesty, you can't have it. The Lord knew his people well. This oil, this olive oil, oil in the Bible, often represents the presence and essential ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need oil for cooking. You need oil for mechanics. Right? It helps make things flow. You can't have a church without the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is not a message where unity can just be manufactured and just muscled up. 
We'll just make it happen. You can't. But the Spirit causes it to happen. Now, in Exodus 39, is there a divine pattern for the priestly garments? We're not going to read that, but I want you to know where that is. And then in Exodus chapter 40, this is the ordination that took place. And I'm just going to read verses 12 through 15. In verse 12, it says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and it shall wash them with water, and put on Aaron the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them, and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests, and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. And Moses did it. Moses obeyed. What's the purpose then of David referencing this in Psalm 133? Why is he bringing this up? To talk about the oil and the oil running down and talking about the fragrance of sweetness and beauty that's incorporated into worship. You understand that the tabernacle and then the temple was not the place that contained the Lord, but that was his presence and it was a home. So he wanted to dwell with his people. Garden of Eden, he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He wanted to be with them. The whole point is that we could be with him, know him and enjoy him and glorify him forever. That's why you were made. That's why I was made. And he wanted to be with, so he's making a way. So it has to be set apart. And this oil would run down. This would be pleasing. It's important to a dwelling place. Now, pretty much you'll never find me in the house ever when we're preparing for company spraying stuff. But Ginger, that's what she does. When we're ready for small group at our house or company coming over, there's candles going. There's stuff plugged in the walls and outlets. She's walking through, spray this, you know, and she wants when people open the door It's not just your words that greet them with, oh, we're glad to see you, but it's a multi-level sensory, whoa, that smells good. I can't wait to get in this house. Can't always be said of me. When we have men's breakfasts here, then she walks in and says, whew, smells like Dixie's Diner in here. That's a place in Kentucky. You know, the greasy spoon. It's just all in the ceiling tiles and carpet and chairs, and she's like, spray some stuff in here. Come back from a camp out. I had a fire going in the yard the other day. She's like, ooh, you smell like B.O. I was like, it's a campfire. It's not me. She just keeps it real. But aroma. These are humans coming to worship the God. The humans are made in his image. He wants to be with them. And so there's a dwelling place, and there's a place that's not just cold, and come in, and you don't move, and, and he is, who, if, Lord, if you should mark out iniquities, who would stand? And you, and he's, all, no, it's inviting. It's a warm presence. It's a home, and he's saying, come and gather and worship me. I want to be with you. I want to know you. I will defend you. I love you. I will protect you. This is a good God, worthy of our worship. I've told you about when I worked at Greyhound in Springfield, Missouri, and a coworker wouldn't show up at two in the morning. I've been there since four in the afternoon, and now I'm there till seven, seven thirty, eight the next morning. And I told you right down the road, 
I think it was either Hostess or Wonder Bread. And they started up their ovens at about three in the morning when I'm growling stomach hungry. And I'm in a trance sweeping outside, smelling that aroma coming from the bakery, thinking, how come I don't work there? They have food down there. There would be bread being baked in the tabernacle and these ovens and the sacrifices. All of this aroma was pleasing. Some of the aroma was not, and that was a reminder of our sin. That stinks. You stink. You need to be washed. And ultimately, our sin must be washed in the blood of the lamb, which it was all pointing to. From the head down to every part of his garment, down to the ground, this would be lavish. There was a waste here in this ceremony because worship that's offered to the Lord should never be from what we have left over. I got some leftover time. I guess I'll make, it, I'll make it over to church. I have some leftover money. I think I'll give that to the Lord. I have some leftover. Maybe I'll serve somewhere. Maybe I just have leftover, not worship. It shouldn't be last minute. It should never be selfish. It should never be stingy in any way. So that's what David's worship was when he was bringing the the ark into the city of David and he was dancing before the ark and then Michael looks out the window and says, what a fool, what an idiot. Does he not care about his reputation? Does he not care about my reputation? The daughter of Saul said. And David responded with, I don't care about my reputation. I will lavishly, I will waste worship on the Lord because you can't waste worship on the Lord. And this is such a beautiful picture. Spurgeon says it this way, uh, taking from the Old Testament into application, once this oil was set in motion, it would not cease from flowing. Christian affection knows no limits of parish, nation, sect, or age. Christian love flowing like oil, it doesn't stop with, oh, you're a, different, you're, you're a different ethnicity, and I, I just, I, I, no. No, Christian love flows, and it doesn't stop. There was also great waste in the New Testament in John chapter 12 when Mary anointed the feet of Jesus at Bethany. And like Michael despised King David, there's Judas, and he just gets so angry in his heart over what was done, this worship, this act of worship. And he's disgusted by it. John chapter 12, verse three, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. Okay, that's a waste. And wiped his feet with her hair. Think about the oil running down, all the way down. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But here's Judas Iscariot. One of his disciples who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. I love Jesus. He didn't say, oh, you know, we're going to keep the peace. No. He called it out. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have 
me. That perfume was poured out on his feet, could be viewed as wasted. Then he says, here's another illustration, it's the dew. Like the dew running down from Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. So it's like oil, this this beauty of brothers dwelling together in unity is like dew running down from Mount Hermon. There's a picture that'll come up on the screen. This photo is of Mount Hermon. You guys didn't know you had a mountain named after you, did you? All right, Mount Hermon. There it is right there. So much resource, so much water, snow, snow caps, 10,000 feet above sea level. And it would flow down, and it would flow down to the Jordan River. It would flow throughout. And understand this, that I didn't know this. From May to October, there's, there's no rainfall in Jerusalem. So it relies upon that mountain range and the resources that come from it so that life can be sustained in the valley and on Mount Zion. And David is picking up on this. That life depended upon God's provision from on high. Nothing's changed for us today, beloved. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down, flowing down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Were you able to predict everything that was going to happen in the year 2020? (laughs) Do you know what's going to happen this week? No, but the Lord does not change and nothing takes him by surprise. So let me ask this question then. What's the purpose? Why is he talking about the oil running down, the the dew flowing down from Mount Hermon? Why? What what are we talking about here? What's the point of this, David? Listen, all right, don't miss this because you need this and I need this. The blessing of God and the grace of God flows down to supply oil all that we need. His supply is not just for the wealthy. It's not just for the educated. It's not just for the talented. It's not just for the beautiful. It's not just for the super religious. It's for all people from the super religious Israelite Nicodemus in John 3 to the Samaritan woman who had been through multiple relationships and was in sin at the moment Jesus met her at the well in John chapter 4 and everyone in between. The grace flows down and it's not stingily given by God. Just a little bit, just a little bit. It flows. It flows freely down all over the garment, his grace. They went around perfume everywhere over everything. The whole house smelled good. And when people would gather in worship, they would, all of their senses would be heightened. We're coming, we're moving up to worship the Lord. We're gathering to worship and they would be surrounded by this presence of the Lord and the aroma of his worship and the people and then they would leave and they would take it with them. Only it smelled a whole lot better than campfire smoke. And people would be able to say, what's going on and what's happened to you? Everyone Grace flows and there's enough for you. Spurgeon says this, he says, oh, for more of this rare virtue. Not the love which comes and goes, but that which dwells. Not that spirit which separates and secludes, but that which dwells together. Not that mind which is all for debate and difference, 
also known as Twitter and Facebook, but that which dwells together in unity. Dwells, dwells together, dwells together in unity. Oh, for more of this rare virtue. How can we, beloved, enjoy this sweet fellowship of Christian unity for life? Behold the uncommon beauty of this unity and then experience. Experience the unmerited blessing of unity. Get in on this. You ever been in a food line serving and you're about out and there's a lot more people coming? You're like, oh, great. Somebody's got to tell them we're, we're about out of food here. Sorry, we don't have that. Scratch that off the menu. Scratch that off. Um, we've got rice. You want some rice? If you need rice, by the way, I have rice. Okay, I can help you out with rice. Plenty of rice. My family understands that joke. 50-pound bag. We're ready. <laughs> but if you're out, you don't want to tell people that, oh, this blessing, receive the blessing. The Lord isn't almost out. He has enough for you. It's flowing down. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. The promise of the Lord's blessing is available to everyone in Jesus. So here, listen to me. If you have never received the blessing, receive the blessing of the Lord this morning. The Lord loves the unity of Zion. And we've talked about in the past, the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, the place of worship. Right now, the church scattered all over the globe gathers to worship and then and moves out to represent the Lord and reflect his glory. The future new Jerusalem, where in heaven there'll be a new heaven and new earth and all things will pass away. Behold, he'll make all things new. The Lord has commanded the blessing. And listen, beloved, whatever the Lord commands, he does. Remember David's oath? I'm gonna build you a house. No, you're not. I'm gonna build you a house. The Lord said he would do it. The Lord did it. And the Lord is doing it. The Lord commanded the blessing, and whatever he commands, it happens. So where, listen now, where God's people are living together, dwelling together in unity, there the Lord sends his blessing by command. Therefore, he cannot bless that which is contrary to his character. Let me say that again. He cannot bless what is contrary to his character. The person, the family, the church, the nation that abandons God, goes on their own, the Lord cannot bless that. Listen to what John Calvin said. He said, God commands his blessing where peace is cultivated. God's sovereignty, he commands his blessing. Our responsibility, cultivate peace. Ever worked in a field? Ever worked in a garden? I grew up in Montana. You know what my job was? Pick rocks. The whole state is a rock. My, I, had, I had job security, let me tell you. Go get rocks. And the next day, hey, could you get some rocks out of there? Like there's a hole in our backyard. Let's put a pool in there instead of a garden. There's nothing left. It was all rocks. Cultivating is difficult work, but it's worthwhile. 
The Lord's blessing is abundant with life forevermore. And it's poured out, listen now, through Zion for all peoples, all nations. And so it's a channel of blessing. And we as the people of God, we're to be a channel of blessing. And it's all going, all history, all things are going, redemptive history. It's going somewhere. Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So right now, when everything looks so chaotic and all the political scene is chaotic and all the sides and all that, go back to the instrument and the instrument is telling us that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is good. He is faithful and you trust him and you can trust him and you're invited to trust him. And this day will come when the glory will fill the earth, the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea, it will happen. So receive the blessing and for all who have received the blessing of the Lord, and your sins have been forgiven, then here's what we live out doing. Reflect the blesser. Reflect the blesser. Now think about this. When was the last time somebody gave you a gift and you proceeded to say, didn't I receive that gift so well? No. There's no glory to the recipient of the gift. The glory is to the giver of the gift. And in our case, God is the giver and God in Christ is the gift. Is this not rich? How blessed we are? Receive the gift and then reflect like the moon reflects the sun. It has no light of its own. It just reflects. It's a ball of dirt. What do you think we are? But we're made in the image of God to reflect his glory. Reflect. The blesser, those who have truly received unmerited favor, unmerited blessing, undeserved blessing, will be those who dwell. They will be the ones who abide in sharing this blessing with others. Now listen closely, beloved. Christian unity is not the same thing as uniformity. Unity is different than uniformity. Anybody have to wear uniforms growing up? I did. Had the tie, flags, stripes. Looked good. It was great. Uniforms were tight. This is what it means. Uniformity. Having always the same form, manner, or degree. Not varying or variable. Okay? So somebody comes into our church and like, oh, I like the preaching in this church, and I like that, and I'm going to join. And then, now, now, here's what you need. You need to change the music and make it this way, and you need to change the times, and you need to do this. You need to meet my standard. No. No. We're not going for uniformity. It's very different than Christian unity. In the essentials, listen now, this old statement, in the essentials, unity, that's the gospel. In the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, beloved, you know the word? Charity. Even with people whom we disagree with we still show love. Unity, because Islam will look at Christianity and say, look, you got different denominations. You don't get along. You're not the same. You don't all wear the same thing, do the same thing, pray at the same times, face the same direction. So you're not, you're not united. But the beauty of Christian unity is this, that we're all different. 
There's so many, there's so many differences, but we agree on the essentials of the gospel. And so we're not out to just look like one another and act like one another. We're, our goal as believers is to look, think, act like Jesus. And the picture is more beautiful when it incorporates different ethnicities, different styles of worship, all different ages, different nations, and they're all going to be gathered around the throne. This is where it's going, and we will worship the Lamb, and it will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation saying, worthy is the Lamb because he's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and he reigns. Do you know him? In the New Testament, Jesus prayed for the unity of his church. He prayed for his disciples. John 17, verse 20, I do not ask for these only. This is a high priestly prayer, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, here's the point, may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, in them, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that, here's the point, the world may know that you sent me and loved them, how much? Even as you loved me. You wonder how much God loves you? If you are in Christ, he loves you as he loved Jesus. Can't get any better than that. You think that will change someone? Will that make someone who wasn't loving a loving person? Someone who wasn't gracious, a gracious person. Someone who wasn't merciful, a merciful person, yes. And what Jesus is saying, if you are not merciful, and if you are not loving and gracious, if you're not one, then you're reflecting wrongly. You're lying about God and his relationship to the Son and Spirit. So Paul would write to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4. I'm just going to read the first four verses. I would love to read the whole chapter. not going to do it. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Put up with each other in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Does that describe you today? A person who's eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, a church united for years in earnest service of the Lord is a well of goodness and joy to all those who dwell round about it. In preparing this message, I'm, I'm asking myself and I'm inviting you as members of grace to say, are, are we that? Are we a well of goodness and joy to those who are around us on these streets right around and in our community and in this region? Oh, I pray that we are, but are we there yet? No, we're not. No, we have a long ways to go. I have a long ways to go. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and there were two ladies that were not getting along. I've had people say at times, oh, you know, Pastor, are, are you, you, you reference certain situations and so forth. You know, are, are you supposed to do that when, when there's sin in the church or there's, there's, you know, division in the church and, you know, people, are you supposed to do that? Listen, Paul named them. 
My sermons are gonna, they're not going to last like that. The word will last, but not my sermons. Paul named, he said, and if you're looking for names for daughters or granddaughters, here you go, okay? I entreat Yodia, there you go, option one. And I entreat Syntyche, I think that's how you say it, to agree in the Lord. Ladies, work it out. Agree in the Lord. Listen to what Calvin says. So long as animosities like what was going on between those two ladies, divide us and heart burnings prevail amongst us. We may be brethren, no doubt, still by common relation to God. He made us. That's what he's saying. But cannot be judged one so long as we present the appearance of a broken and dismembered body. So let me be clear. When people go through churches like revolving doors, They are reflecting a broken and dismembered body. They may say that they belong to God, but they have no right to say they belong to God if they will not pursue peace on the authority of Scripture. And there's a world watching. And there are children watching how their parents conduct relationships. This can be beautiful, and this can be so tragically awful when we get this wrong. So what do we do? Go to him. Who? Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, let's go to him. Let's run to him. You can either run to Jesus or you can run away from him. You run to Jesus and you, you find refuge. You run from Jesus, there is no refuge. Therefore, the writer says, Hebrews 13, 13, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of, our, of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So are we reflecting a glimpse of heaven with our lives and our relationships or a glimpse of hell? Are we bringing heaven down or hell up? Oh, my prayer is we enjoy this fellowship for life of Christian unity. Behold, check it out, don't miss it, the uncommon beauty of unity in Christ, and then experience the unmerited blessing. Beauty and blessing is available for you. It's what we're meant to live in and live out. So here's our questions, okay? Reflect. Prayerfully, think about these. Discuss them, apply them to our lives. First question is this. It's on your worship guide. What What are the differences between unity and uniformity? As you gather, as you talk this afternoon, talk about these things. What's the difference between being united in Christ and having uniformity in a church or whatever? What's the difference? What happens then when unity is missing among people who call themselves Christians? What takes place? What is the result when unity is missing? And lastly is a step of application. God, help me to, and here's where we have to fill in the blank. What is our response? 
so that I can encourage unity in my church family. If you're joining us online, wherever your church family is, where you gather and worship, what is your role? How would God use you to encourage unity in this body of believers or in the body that you belong to? Stand with me. I pray that you'll take that step of obedience today. Father in heaven, oh, in Christ, you have declared us to be your children and therefore, we are your brothers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, Lord, you are not the God of confusion and discord, but of love and peace. So we humbly ask you, Lord, to join our hearts and affections together so that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, may walk in love in your house. Let the oil of sanctification that is of your Holy Spirit inflame us and the dew of your blessing continually fall upon us that we may obtain life eternal through the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.